Hi, I'm Danny. I love learning about how things work, from economics, business, health, and psychology, to language, food, crafting, and short story fiction and nonfiction. In this podcast, I'll share what I've learned and what's touched me this week, how it's connected to other things I know, and how I file that knowledge away to apply later in my coaching and my life. As I like to say, everything is about everything. Come on the journey with me as I build a systems theory of our world on The Takeaway with Danny. Hi there, welcome back this week. This week we're going to be talking about how to think about things moving into and out of systems, how we should consider the effects of removing a long-standing and integral piece of a system, and whether or not the pieces of a system are interchangeable or removable. Let's get into it. So first up this week was just a fun anecdote from a few weeks ago. I got onto the bus and there was a lovely gentleman uh, who was maybe in his late 50s, early 60s. We got onto the bus and he said, uh, do you have a mask? He had on his own mask. And he asked me, do you have a mask? And I said, no, I, I don't have a mask with me. I, I have one at home, I think, but um, I don't have one with me. And so he went into his bag and he fished out his, uh, his he had just purchased a set of disposable masks. So there he had several packages in packs of two. And so he handed me a pack of two and he said, you can keep both of these. And so I put one on, I said, thank you. And so he was just talking to me where it was a pretty short ride, maybe 15, 20 minutes. And so he was just talking about um, the illnesses going around. There are some viruses, people are getting sick, not feeling very well. And he was like, you have to protect yourself and you have to be vigilant and all that good stuff. And he said, when God calls his soldiers, he starts with bacteria. And I don't know why, but it just tickled me so much to think about. I think that my first instinct is like anyone else's who um, maybe doesn't feel as uh, fantastical <laughs> about religion. <clears throat> and my my like first twitch instinct was, oh, that sounds kind of silly. But then I did the thing that I do and I thought about it some more. And I was thinking of uh, God sending, like just giving a message to the bacteria to, to charge, you know? And just thinking of them as little soldiers with an actual mission to carry out, thinking about the stories in the Bible where several times over a lot of people were kind of wiped out through disease, thinking about the pandemic, thinking about infectious disease and globalization, and just getting that whole thing going. It's just like how this one comment set me off on thinking about the entire world and the way that the entire world works right now and, and what that would look like if that statement were true. Just plainly, if I took it, you know, matter-of-factly, what does that, what would that look like? Um, it made the comment feel fun and accessible and 
It didn't feel like I was disconnected from him. It felt like I wanted to talk to him more about what his perspective was and what exactly he meant by that. Um, so that's just a fun anecdote, not in, entirely connected to our theme this week, but connected in the way that everything is, which is a roundabout and, and down the street. <laughs> uh, but this was just a fun one. What do you think about this kind of statement? How do you respond when someone says a thing like this to you? Next up, I was listening to the Sporkful uh, just before Thanksgiving. They mentioned at the beginning that this was going to be their very last Thanksgiving episode. And it made me think about the way that we go about um, talking about holidays and talking about our complicated heritage of history and especially what that means in places that have been colonized where we incorporate into our culture the colonized story and we're in a moment in the united states at least where we kind of want to separate ourselves from the colonized story we don't want to tell that story we don't want to own that story and so a lot of people want to get rid of the story completely. They want to erase that story. I think the trouble with erasing the story completely is that that story has been part of how we operate. That story has been part of our system of operation. And if we are to remove it, because it's so integral to our systems, our own systems, it does actually erase part of our own history. Now we can decide whether we wanna keep that history or not. As a society, I suppose, it we do have a right to forget things. Um, but when we have something like a holiday, these kinds of, a holiday like Thanksgiving operates inside of a system of society. It's there to serve a certain kind of purpose. And whether that purpose is the same as the original purpose or not, it serves a purpose today. And right now, Thanksgiving is kind of one of the only national holidays in the U.S. It may be the only national holiday that's not linked to military or religion. It's one that anyone can do. It's one that anyone who comes to the country can can take part in. And if we decide that we don't want to do the thing that we're calling Thanksgiving anymore, I'd love to see it replaced by something else because I do think it serves a really beautiful purpose. It allows us to celebrate something together. Um, and I think the, or at least the way that my family has celebrated, which is it's a time for everyone who is here to come and be thankful and to be grateful for what you have. And you can make any number of occasions like this, but it's really nice to have this on a national level. I think having a national, um, time to take space for gratitude is really important to keep in the system. So this is not um, me saying like we should keep Thanksgiving or we should not keep Thanksgiving. I'm honestly not that uh, I could I could make it work for me either way. But I'm really curious what we'll end up with. And also, 
this time, this is what's going to be the rest of the conversation for this podcast. We'll talk about Scrum, we'll talk about marriage, we'll talk about social systems. But really the question is, can you take out a piece of the system and ha- and that system still remain intact? Will it continue to serve its purpose if an essential function is gone? My argument is no. I do think that pieces of a system can maybe be replaceable, but not with any other thing. It has to be a st- another thing that serves that same purpose. And often parts of our system solve Uh, solve multiple problems or serve multiple purposes, in which case, whatever you replace it with also has to cover all of those things. It could be separately or together, but there is something to be said for a longstanding system that has that has worked. Now, I'm not saying that the US is a system that has worked. There's a lot of pieces of this system that don't work. But I do think gratitude is a piece that we can keep. The next podcast is called is from Balanced Black Girl. It's called The Secret to Choosing Yourself with Any Popula. And I'm sorry I listened to this a couple of weeks ago, so that pronunciation might not be entirely accurate. Um, but in any case, this one was a lot about um, how you make choices in the world. And the thing that stood out the most to me about this episode was enjoying doing things alone and going back to things you did in childhood and recognizing that those were things that you loved. I have always enjoyed doing things alone, maybe a little bit too much. I tend to rely on my personal time and my time away from others a lot. I'm coming to realize that that is a lot to do with ADHD autism and masking, um, meaning I don't, uh, I haven't felt fully myself around others. I felt that I needed to, uh, be different than I am in order to be accepted. And I felt that more and more as I've gotten older, especially as I've started dating before I started dating, I didn't feel that way. So when I think of myself before I was let's say before I was 18, but really peak before I was 16. So when I was around 16, I started dating because I thought I was supposed to, everyone else was. Um, I wasn't really interested, but, um, but everyone else was, so I thought I should do it too. And at that point, that was when I started to pivot towards being what I thought I was supposed to be versus doing what just brought me joy. I remember spending a lot of time in my middle and high school years just doing all kinds of artistic and creative things and intellectual things that really brought me a lot of of energy and joy i loved to move my body i loved to create i loved to to be creative with other people um and i even did that a little bit in going into college but I sort of lost a lot, I think, in college. Um, A lot of people say that college is like the best time, or they say high school is the best time, and I don't think I've had my best time yet. I don't know. I think I had two years when I was around in my mid-20s where that was probably where I peaked, um, and that was my best time so far. 
I'm hoping that a better time comes after that. Um, But I'm starting to understand a little bit more that I need to go back to the ways that I expressed myself, the ways that I felt confident, the ways that I moved my body and moved my mind and moved through space and relationships and communication that felt good to me. Um, And then just, you know, check that balance and feel really what it feels like to be myself again. I think especially after having a full-time job and kids and trying to be in relationships and trying to really do all of those things from scratch at the same time, from the starting point at the same time, it doesn't leave a ton of time to uh, concentrate on yourself. And, and, you know, there's so many adjustments you have to make. And if you make all of those adjustments at once, it's hard to know where the boundary should be. It's hard to test out where that boundary should be, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. Also, <clears throat> boundaries and, and testing out the boundaries. But um, but yeah, I just, uh, I appreciated the reminder to go back to things I really enjoyed in childhood and just feel them out again. See how they feel now, see what feels good now. Um, and bringing back that, that curiosity and joy of learning that I had when I was younger, that's not connected to producing something. So again, takeaway there is go back to the things you did in childhood Recognize those were a lot of the things you loved. See if you can find some of those things again that maybe you've lost. Next up is from the Master Coaching with Ajit podcast, the one skill to become a better coach, partner, and parent. So I paused partway through this part, this podcast and started writing my story. This one is about storytelling. And as I said before, storytelling is something that I've been working on improving recently over the past couple of months. I've really been trying to focus on different stories that I tell um, and how I use stories for purposes. So in order to achieve a goal, this was a really good exercise. Um, He gives some concrete steps to how to write a story and how to structure a story. I haven't finished mine. I started writing out my story it's kind of like the story that uses your about me or it could be the story that where you talk about your product or a story um for example that you would use to to uh share a podcast um or share in a podcast again i still haven't finished my story but i have made a pretty good start i feel good about what i have so far um and about it's it's kind of starts with where I was when I got to this transition part of my journey, why I got here, what pain I was experiencing, and how I am solving that pain or how I am going through the experiment that life is of finding a way through that that feels better. 
Again, I still haven't finished this, but I really do plan to. So if you are trying to find a good method of writing out your story, who you are and why anyone should care about it, a really compelling story that drives people to action, check out Master Coaching with Ajit, episode 164, The One Skill to Become a Better Coach, Partner, and Parent. Next up is from Hidden Brain. The episode is called The Ugly Side of Beauty. So in their previous episode, they talked about what beauty is. In this um, episode, they talk about how we are biased toward beauty in a lot of ways that we feel or that at least scientists and neuroscientists think are not related to beauty, where beauty is theoretically not related to the outcome that we're seeking. Uh, We have an unconscious bias favoring attractive people in almost all facets of life. So um, my takeaway for this was, I had two actually. The first one was a direct takeaway. That was acknowledge potential physical bias in your job interview. So if you're interviewing for a job where traditionally a person who looks like you is not typically filling that role, You can acknowledge the potential physical bias in your interview by saying something like, I know I may not look like most people in this job or going for this job, but if you look at my experience or blah, 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 you give your justification after that. But by calling out the bias, we can take the unconscious bias and make it conscious. And then it gives the interviewer a chance to combat their own inherent bias by being conscious about how they're choosing at least more conscious which is a good small tip like it's just like a tiny thing that you can tweak and as a black woman in tech uh especially a black woman mom in tech uh there aren't a ton of us (laughs) uh in the spaces that i've been in so this is a really good place uh, i'd like to implement as i'm doing interviews The second takeaway was uh, very often we're asked to, let me back up. Pattern recognition is a really important facet of our species as humans. They talk about pattern recognition and attractiveness and how those two things go together in this podcast. We wouldn't really be able to function without using our pattern recognition. It's really deeply ingrained and so deeply unconscious that even if you're asked If you're using this kind of pattern recognition, you can't tell that you are. And I think recently I've heard that in a lot of places, people are being asked to either doubt or deny this major operating system of pattern recognition because sometimes their system makes them, uh, gives them an accurate conclusion, an inaccurate conclusion rather. So occasionally they're wrong. And so people who often have wrong assumptions made of them would like people to not make any assumptions at all. Now, I think that's an unreasonable request. I don't think we need to throw out all of our pattern recognition just because we get it wrong sometimes. I think it's worth being more forgiving on both sides that pattern recognition, pattern recognition is really useful, but also it's not flawless. So on the side of the person 
who is perceiving a pattern, it would be great to readily incorporate new information into your operating systems and pattern recognition. Then then being forgiving of yourself and of others if it's sometimes wrong. A system is not meant to be entirely flawless all the time. It's meant to be a good way of moving forward with the information that you currently have. And as you learn more, as you experience more, as you experiment more, you incorporate new information into your operating system. If something seems to go against the system that you have, then Maybe there is a gap in your system, or maybe there's something that you didn't understand. Maybe it's just a lack of experience and you can widen your system. I think we can all be forgiving of a little bit of ease on both sides. I understand that a lot of people are trying to keep uh, their operating systems and their belief systems and their experiences as boundaries. I don't have a perfect answer for how to maintain boundaries while incorporating new information. Um, But I'll, you know, I'll think about it. And if you have some thoughts about that, where do boundaries end and incorporating new information begin for you? Then let me know. Reach out, danny at dannysimon.com. But in general, I think if you're told your pattern recognition system has made a less than correct conclusion by the person it incorrectly concluded about, you can either gracefully add the new information to your system, or you can politely ask if questions are appropriate and then add the new information to your system. In either case, it's really good to just go ahead and add new information to your system. Whether or not that changes your overall overall system depends on you and that experience. But your prior knowledge doesn't inherently discount any new information. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's wrong. But also, just because a system, someone else's system, doesn't apply to you, doesn't mean their system is wrong either. So again, the takeaways here are pattern recognition is really important. Let's have a little bit of grace for how we use our patterns and how we incorporate new patterns. And by acknowledging some of our patterns out loud, we can help people and ourselves more consciously evaluate the way that our systems are working. Again, that's Hidden Brain, The Ugly Side of Beauty. Next up is a new podcast. I was suggested this by Apple Podcasts in the stuff they thought I would like based on stuff I listened to. <laughs> I forget what that section's called there, but it's called Motherhood in Black and White. It is a black mom and a white mom who I think have been friends for a while. It's the first time I've listened to it. It's actually the first time I've heard of it. It is a parenting focused podcast. And this particular episode was called The Two Parent Privilege Debunked. This podcast was about a new book that was written with some studies and evidence about the advantage of the two married parent household. And they started out the podcast by saying that they haven't read the book. They said they have read articles, so they don't actually debunk the two parent privilege at all in this podcast. I sort of have reservations because social media has sort of made the internet a 
a complete echo chamber of people responding to other people, responding to other people, where where very few people uh, are responding to what the first person said because they haven't actually heard it. Um, I don't love that. And this is one of those cases where I just like to read the book to understand what the actual arguments are. In any case, I'll respond to the topics that they raised in this podcast. So one is they made the point that the book says that um, in order to have a successful child, uh, or I suppose uh, a child is more reliably successful when they come from a home with two married parents, where the parents are married to each other. Um, And their first question was, what is success? And I don't know if the book goes into defining what success is. I think they pick out a couple of of aspects of what success is um, or what it's labeled as in the book. I'm not sure if the articles do justice to whatever the book says success is. I think it's an important question. What is success? For me, success for my children looks like making sure they have the resources to accomplish anything that they want to accomplish. And that doesn't mean that I'm giving them all of the material resources, but that they have the resources of mm, thoughtfulness, curious curiosity, um, resourcefulness to find answers to their questions when they're looking for when they're looking for them to think to look for the answers to their questions Uh, that to me is what success looks like if they know how to do that then i feel like i've been successful um but that's not everyone's concept of success so uh so they talk about money as success and all of that and you know i won't debate on what success is here but but that is my definition of success for my children. <clears throat> then they discuss whether marriage is necessary or not for success. So they talk about different kinds of households, households who have two adults in them who are not married, who maybe are in a relationship with each other, or maybe they're not in a relationship with each other, but in any case, there's more than one adult in the house. She talks about, or one of them talks about, um, I think she said either her or her mom living in a household yeah it was her mom lived in the household with her sister and so the two women the two sisters and their kids lived together and she said as a kid it was really great because i got to live with my cousins and there were two adults in the house and they shared responsibilities and they shared um they shared financial responsibilities and all of that and i love that model if you can get a place big enough (laughs) um big enough to suit, you know, your situation. Um, I also think there are lots of different kinds of structures. I think that the reason we've come to rely so much on the structure of at least two parents in a household who are married to each other, um, I think the reason that we've relied so heavily on that in a lot of context is because we removed all of the other structure for raising a successful child. So in the past, raising a successful child was done by your community. And 
So while you may or, you, you know, you might be married, you might not be married, what happens inside of the household in the primary household is important, but having a strong community has more impact on a child than the individual household situation if the community ties are strong. And I'm sort of redundant, but a strong community will have a huge effect, sometimes a bigger effect on on the child's outcomes than the parent. Now, uh, we've kind of gotten away from that. We don't do community really anymore like we used to. And so now a lot of the responsibility of, of a child's outcomes is on the household. The household becomes the community. I don't think there's enough in a household to be the community, but if the household is all you got, then, then there's that. <clears throat> Another structure is all that we've gotten away from is multi-generational households, which... Uh, is a really strong way to raise a child. But again, we don't really do that a lot. So the situation that we end up in is that in all of this, all of the systems that were available for raising a child before as a community, we don't really have that good basis of now, which makes a two-parent household and perhaps a two-parent household with uh, married parents, parents married to each other, more important, possibly. I'm not saying that's true or not because I haven't looked at the, the data. But um, again, that depends on your uh, definition of success. And it also depends on what are your systems and resources. Also, we don't want to, I find that in when, when people read these kinds of studies and they feel kind of put upon, they're like, well, that wasn't my situation. So I feel like I want to go against this. I want to push back. Um, we don't have to dismiss a situation just because it feels like it wasn't our situation. So just because you are a chi- not a child of married parents doesn't mean that you have to push back on whether there is good that comes out of a child being raised in a household with two married parents. It also doesn't like um, one of the points that was made is that by lifting up one kind of household situation, we're making other people feel bad about any other kind of situation. And I think those two things don't have to go together we can, we don't have to feel bad (laughs) that our situation is not the same. We do our best for our kids. um, And that's, that's the best we can do. Right? Marriage is not necessarily the thing that will make your child successful. It's also probably not the thing that's going to make your child not successful. So Again, this is going back to being able to incorporate new information or being able to incorporate information without having to take it personally. Now, I'm saying this tongue in cheek because we're not tongue in cheek, but with a grain of salt, because I also take things personally that feel like they're not about me. (laughs) So I fall into this too sometimes. This is uh, advice for others as well as advice for me. 
Um, they also mentioned, this is just like a little funny aside, they mentioned the NSYNC reunion concert. And a few weeks ago, I went with my kids to watch Trolls 3 in French. We have loved all of the Trolls movies and we really liked this one, but it was very different to watch it in French than to watch it in English. And I would like to go back and watch it in English. I think that we'll all go back and watch it in English because we've liked the other one so much and this one didn't quite hit in another language. Also, my own experience has been both as a child and as a parent in one and two adult or parent households. Um, I don't know what, what, uh, I couldn't tell you how much one thing or another changed me. What I can say is I've always and only wanted the best possible situation for everyone involved. And everyone has to be taken into consideration in these kinds of, in these kinds of decisions, right? I don't think most parents or at least parents that I spend time with are making decisions that don't take their children into account. Everyone's doing their best. They're making the decisions that they feel are the best for themselves and for their children. Um, yeah. And I don't think marriage is any different than that. I also think that part of the systems that we have possibly abandoned are the systems that can help make marriage more sticky. So that's another thing to consider about what you leave in and take out of your systems. It also reminded me that I'm still reading the book Demon Copperhead, um, which has lots to say about family and what's required for a child's success and what, what kinds of experiences lead to certain outcomes, what kinds of environments and communities lead children to certain outcomes. Mm, I really recommend that one. It's it's long, but it is so good. So again, this podcast was Motherhood in Black and White, The Two-Parent Privilege Debunked. My main takeaways were that we want to be careful to not respond to another person's response of a thing. We really want to try, if we're going to have strong feelings about a thing, to respond to the original thing so that we understand it. Understand it for yourself. Also, going back to the point, we don't have to be against a point just because we feel like it's against us. We can incorporate new information into what we know and let that be okay without feel taking it personally. Last up is from Mission Audition. This week I was listening to, um, Mission Audition is just uh, voice acting auditions and feedback from voice acting coaches. So as a lifelong vocal and instrumental performer, I chose to study language and linguistics because so much of my vocal performance experience involved a deep dive into phonetics and phonology, which is how we use our bodies to produce sound. I love voice acting because it uses so many of the skills that I've spent so much of my life cultivating. 
listening to the auditions and the immediate critiques of those auditions really helps me execute this podcast better, which I love. I can take a small tip here and there as I'm ready and implement it right away. And they can be tips about voice quality, quality of recording, small small tweaks for improving either of those, best ways to present my voice. So I really like listening to the feedback that they give on this show uh, and using it to improve my own vocal communication. Again, that's Mission Audition. Thanks for listening. This has been The Takeaway with Danny. If you're looking for a scrum master or lifestyle coach, you can find me at dannysimon.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Danny Simon. See you next week.